Hello and welcome back to DeliveryX Beyond the Buying Button podcast. I'm Katie Searles, editor of DeliveryX and your host. As always in the studio, I'm joined by Internet Retailing's editor-in-chief Ian Jindal. And through the power of technology, we're joined by Narvar's David Morin all the way from San Francisco. Before we launch into how agility and flexibility is key to retailers in this ever-changing world, David, would you like to tell us a little bit? Sure. Thanks, Katie. Thanks again for having me. Uh, my name is David Morin. I am the head of customer strategy. For those of you who might be unfamiliar, global leader in post-purchase uh, so we work with over 1,200 retailers and brands around the globe uh, to really optimize all aspects. Uh, my background is in retail and retail technology. I spent well over a decade working with retailers and brands on a variety of technology solutions, really focusing on the merge and intersection of technology and retail and how when done well, those two things can really be used to enhance customer experience. Thank you very much, David. We're also going to hear from retail experts from Selfridges, Pandora and Wolverine. We've got three back-to-back clips from our guests joining us. My name is Sham Aziz. I'm head of customer service at Selfridges and have been in the game for the last 20 years. Our purpose within customer service at Selfridges is to drive retention and resolution whilst maintaining our reputation. Um, So if you like, in the terms of algorithms, it's retention times reputation times resolution equals fire remote. I'm Ricky Wilson. I'm the VP of Global E-Commerce and Digital Operations at Pandora. So Pandora, um, we're the world's largest jewellery brand. We're headquartered in Copenhagen. uh, We operate in a through near enough 7,000 points of sale, I guess, um, and over 2,500 stores that we own and operate. We've got transactional websites in about a fifth of them. And our online sales are in the region of about 0.7 billion euros, something like that, which is just over about a quarter. Hi, my name's Stephen Irwin. Um, I've uh, been in the e-com industry now for a little over 14 years, uh, working from... I'm currently working as e-com in Wolverine. Wolverine is a portfolio business with um, a house of uh, more than 12 brands, actually. Um, the main brands that, that I focus on kind of day-to-day within the EMEA region is Merrill, which is a uh, primarily outdoor-based uh, business looking after kind of hiking, uh, athletic hiking. Then we have Saucony, which is a, and also has a kind of sister brand within that stable as Saucony Originals, which is a lifestyle. And uh, then we have brands from Caterpillar to Hush Puppies as well. And most recently we, uh, so that was back in Wolverine is, has been primarily a wholesale business for, for, However, it has invested more and more in the direct-to-consumer space over over the last few years. And actually, even the acquisition of Sweaty Betty was to kind of further uh, embed into that space because the acquisition meant also bringing in an apparel business into primarily a footwear-driven, a female consumer-led business and, and also a direct-to-consumer business. The, the acquisition was, was, was somewhat strategic. 
Um, our global revenues in, in 2021 were kind of 2.4 billion with, with a growth of our direct consumer growth in, in 2021 overall was 46. We're really focusing on that space and, and have invested infrastructure uh, into the business to come. I just joined Wolverine late in that journey or, or early, depending on what way you look at it, but uh, I, I've joined. So now I really got my, my feet onto the table and and I'm now looking at how I can add value to the to the business direction and, and really take uh, the business to the and that's that's a different strategy across each of the brands of course some of them are a little bit further along than others and and, and we're kind of tailoring that approach whilst also uh, benefiting from even Stephen's introduction just sums up the changing world of retail that's right he managed to just, just do the episode by himself in that <laughs> in that opening couple of minutes um i think it goes without saying the last couple of years have taken retail and turned everything on its head. We couldn't have probably predicted at the end of 2019 where we'd be sitting today. And I don't think we could predict where it's going to be at the start of 2023. But that doesn't stop us asking David. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, what, what his thought might be. So, um, you know, unprecedented times. How do you think that uh, retailers have been have managed to keep up with customers' demands. Yeah, you know, with every uh, tragedy comes innovation. And, and I think one of the things that was most inspiring for me in the pandemic was how quickly retailers focused and innovated. I think we saw 10, 15 years of innovation all in the short span of one or two years. Uh, you know, I know you guys are both uh, over in the UK. I'm over here in the United States. Uh, over in the USA, one of the biggest things that we saw was the speed to innovation for how to get customers goods. Uh, obviously people were at home, they couldn't leave their house. So one of the things I was most excited about is how quickly retailers were offering curbside pickup mm. as a new way for retailers to have a contactless, or consumers to have a contactless way to pick up a goods. Uh, you know, most retailers I talked to didn't even have that on their roadmap for maybe three, four, five years. And they accelerated their innovation to actually get that done in three months, four months, five months, and are now seeing that proliferation today even coming you know challenges for everyone but what we really saw was an acceleration of growth an acceleration of expectation and then all of it also an acceleration of innovation uh which is really great for us mm. i think it's interesting as well how some of those innovations you're talking about involved a tacit collaboration between the carriers the retailers and the customer so here we have a few carriers who are famous for just throwing your goods on the floor. So uh, in 2019, that would have been called terrible service, whereas now they put it on the pavement and they'd take a photo of it, say hello to you, drive away, that's great service. So there, there are lots of changes where the customer and the systems have had to, if you like, enter new bargains with the retailers as to what delivery and service means. Changing expectations is something that we hear from the retailers. Steve from Wolverine can tell us a bit more about meeting those customer expectations. I think that's the biggest challenge for D2C brands is is really kind of 
meeting the consumer expectation because they are making that shift and and quite often retailers of course they've been doing this for quite a long time it's their bread and butter and service levels are are probably at the highest with with them you know the volumes they do if i think of of partners that we have like zalando or sports shoes bread and butter is service levels to consumers and they often meet and we as a d2c brand are of course working hard to try and we're a little like I said, it's, it's, it's a work in progress and, and something that we continue to iterate. And we have quarterly business reviews with the operations team and the commercial team kind of aligning on, on where we are and, and how, how much. In real terms, it's, it, it took a lot of planning and a lot of consideration. But I think as soon as you start to kind of mobilize the workforce and, and make them really buy into the strategy, I think that that's really what kind of brings it to fruition. So there was the sharing of the plan throughout the business, but also then the bonus scheme as well kind of also helped to kind of move that forward. So I think Steve really hit the nail on the head there with the exchange of knowledge comment. It's not just about keeping your customers informed, but in your team as a whole, in your business as a whole, making sure everybody knows what what the score is. That's right. And I think there's a point where if you're asking your staff to cope, to respond, to just get away with it all the time, you never move on from that crisis and uh, coping mechanism. So I think the key part here of knowledge is saying, once we've had a problem and we've fixed it and we've taught everybody else how to fix or avoid it, then the the pool of knowledge and the organisational capability is improved. And I think it's very interesting to see how all of the retailers we've been talking to have been not focused just on old-fashioned process management, like time and motion, but a more modern knowledge and learning environment where everyone's getting better all the time. So I think this is, you know, a, a positive thing and really links these systems to business advantage. And it's certainly something that Selfridges has seen and Sham can explain. One of the key challenges creating uh, the bridges or the paths from other departments into customer service and being able to demonstrate to buying and merchandising or trading or marketing how customer service can be an extension of their department and their objectives. So if we take the example of a buyer who wants to bring in a new brand into the business, if they can provide us information within customer service about the inspiration behind the buy, the designer or designers to do with that new brand, um, the the season, the products, what they will be introducing, going as far as even getting a hold of that product, bringing it into customer service to let them touch and feel it, um, then we become an extension of mine. And so suddenly they are achieving their objectives through us. And so we then become their friends. And so it's making sure they understand how we can add value to them. And we do that with each department. We then use the success stories of where it's worked really well with some departments and we'll go to others and say, hey, did you know that for buying, this is the role we play? Um, For marketing, this is the role we play. For supply chain, we would like to play this role. And it's not often that I receive any pushback. When I go to a department head and say, I can help you be successful, um, they're often ready and willing to help us be successful. It's great to hear that the team within Selfridges are collaborating internally, but surely it's also about working with your suppliers, whether that's your 
technology provider, your 3PL, your carrier. David, do you find collaboration between retailers and companies like Narvar is, is key to success when it comes to agility? Yeah, you know, first I want to touch on what, what Sham said um, about, you know, how customer care can be really an integrated part of the digital experience. I think that's such a good point. You know, we are all celebrating the boom in e-commerce shopping, and I think it's great. But nothing replicates that in-store experience. And if you think about the role of an in-person salesperson, they are often functioning in the same way as a category expert, a merchandising expert, selling that marketing spin. And so really thinking about how in this new world, people who maybe didn't have that role have a role that would replace that physical store role. So I think it's a great point. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of collaboration between vendors and retailers, absolutely. You know, I think where we focus at Narvar is really on one, how can we optimize your post-purchase experience? But two, how can we help function as an extension of your brand to address some of those really great value propositions that were touched on as well? You know, how can we help uh, pass more feedback about your post-purchase experience and your shipping experience to the brands so that you can improve that experience to increase satisfaction? How can we help you understand how to use data that we help collect around the shipping experience and returns experience to make better business decisions? So yes, I mean, we very much view us at Narva as an extension of the retailers' brands and partners, and that you know the best brands that work with us that see the, the best success on our platform, but also the best uh, customer lifetime value increases, retention increases, are those that really act as partners. And you know we share information and knowledge both ways to really make the industry better. I think making the industry better is what we're all here for, really. I also loved your comment about in this new world, it, it has changed and it's something that Wolverine are, are trying to do. And, and Steve can tell us a little bit about their transition. The two biggest investments slash uh, considerations for, for our business are both in uh, operational infrastructure and then resource. So, of course, working on the wholesale space takes an entirely different skill set to the D2C space as we've invested in D2C. It's primarily in e-commerce today. Um, we, we, we don't have a, a store footprint outside of Sweaty Betty. So that's that's maybe a consideration in the future, um, as you mentioned, because it's, it's it's really trying to get closer to that consumer, and and, and we recognise that we we host pop up shops and various kind of temporary solutions on the retail side, but but by and large the the strategy is very much geared towards digital. That's taken a lot of investment in the organisation into that area and and, and bringing in resource from technical uh, within developers, product owners, etc., um, solution architects. All in on that side, we have a performance marketing suite where we have Martech, we have um, people who focus on driving acquisition and growth of traffic and brand awareness, etc., within there, and then also people who are trading and operating within the sites from site merchandising through to kind of content management and, and, and kind of creation of content and content execution. So the, the, the resource level has been a big area where we focused on outside of the brand verticals. We essentially have e-commerce as a global vertical. So we kind of pool that resource on a global level and actually I report into the global business rather than the regional business because of that reason. And we, we essentially use our kind of scale as, as an e-com business to learn from one another, but also um, develop resource and talent throughout the business as well. Then the second piece is is, is that operational side. And, and it's really going from a business that delivers pallets on bulk to wholesalers uh, when the forward orders come in from the factories and and then replenishing those to 
of course, sending a single partial to someone in Leeds and then someone in London and someone in Dublin and, and, and the rest of Europe, right? So that's that's quite a shift for a lot of DDC brands to kind of adjust to. And I think the business itself has done a fantastic job of kind of making that transition. And we have uh, an operation in uh, the Netherlands and, and in Italy uh, and currently in the process of opening one up in the UK as well. And we're creating this flexible approach through our operations where we have flexible resource working across wholesale whenever we have peak demand in wholesale and then rebalancing that with, with within digital for the e-com direct consumer business as well. And the guys have managed to do a fantastic job of that. You know, we've we've got SLAs in place where anything that comes in before three PM on that day needs to be out on the same day and and, and they meet those to an exceptional level. So uh, I, I tip my cap to the, the to that team. Um, however, it doesn't come without its challenges, right? You know, it's 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 still a major adjustment. And Brexit brought a challenge uh, importing from Europe. When we drive real volume, which we have done through a couple of our kind of end of season sale campaigns, that kind of really takes the, the operations team aback and all of a sudden the SLAs become much harder to meet. So it's it, it's it's a dynamic and fluid um, transition that we're kind of working on here. Dynamic and fluid is a very nice phrase. It all sounds very good, but there must be some sort of plan in place. We've a running order for this episode to kind of keep us on track-ish. But we have seen the rise of e-commerce has completely changed what we would have considered traditional um, seasons. David, do you work towards a season catalogue anymore or are, have companies that Navar work with just got rid of it? <laughs> I think the way you, you, you know, kind of pose the question is exactly how we're seeing the trends in the industry. Uh, you know, there are certain seasons in, in retail shopping and consumer shopping that I think will always exist. I mean, the major one for all of us, I think, is holiday or peak. You know, we are all planning towards peak always. I think even with the shifts in e-commerce from the pandemic, uh, the big acceleration of growth in the industry, we still see a high concentration of e-commerce shopping around there. And I think the industry also responds around that period as well. Um, I think we're seeing some more fluidity though. Uh, you know, back to school used to be a big shopping season. I think with all of the changes over the last three years, that's been a little bit more year round. There will always be tent poles. And I think certain brands will have certain focuses. Uh, you know, Pandora, I'm sure has a big holiday or gifting and Mother's Day period. But also to have that resiliency that you don't just depend on those flagship holidays. More and more retailers are looking at having, you know, evergreen or non-seasonal catalogs that really help stand up the overall bottom line year-round. Thank you so very much for lining up Ricky's next clip because here is Pandora talking about what occasional shopping. Yeah, I mean, our trading lineup flexes through the year as one might expect. First of all, we're a gifting brand. Probably over half of our business relates to gifts that people are buying for each other. And so therefore, we have our spikes around Valentine's and Mother's Day and, of course, Black Friday into Christmas. When we look at some of the, the seasonality side of things, if you go onto our, our UK website today, or in fact, any of our international websites today, you'll see the new sort of summer range out there, which has got a, an ocean summery feel to it and um, some very nice new uh, colour changing charms, depending on how hot it is, a uh, beautiful chameleon and a, a, a new turtle that we've got. So um, every now and then, some of this newness drops through. At other points of year, as you say, it might be the collaborations that drop. It really just depends on how we want to pulse that through um, through the season. 
It is really interesting to hear that there's still summer releases and plans for big occasions whilst Homebase opened their Christmas shop this week. That's right. <laughs> this was... week, of course, being beginning of September, so uh, <laughs> earlier than uh, than ever before. 23 degrees and you can buy Christmas stuff. Um, I, th- <laughs> I should say that's centigrade for, uh, for our American, for our American <laughs> listener. Yeah, it, it's still toasty here. Um I think there's no better way that we can wrap this episode up rather than what um, Steve Holt from Wolverine will speak about next when he really hones it in on customer experiences all about the fine-tuning. So let's hear from Steve. Having been in the e-com industry, say, 10, 15 years, I've seen a lot of trends change in that time. And, and there's often big buzzwords that come out at certain points, and it might be AI or machine learning or user-generated content, all, all of these different trends that have come through, and, and, and they will continue to come. I think as as we've seen what happened through COVID and we've seen a lot of businesses accelerate into the digital space and almost make it more competitive in, in a way, the reality for me is the focus needs to be on fixing the 1% across 100 different areas, not just doing one big thing or one big investment. And and for me, e-com is definitely the aggregation of marginal gains. It's looking at small things across your organization and, and really tweaking those and fine-tuning those. And that's something that I kind of put towards my team as, as an ethos in terms of how we approach things. So we, we look across the entire marketing funnel and look at how we tweak small proportions of that, whether it be from a testing base on a regular basis. When we're looking at our site UX and performance, we're, we're not trying to do one big impactful thing. We're trying to do lots of little impactful things through kind of our, our testing strategy on site and then kind of adopting those learnings and, and, and moving them in quickly and, and agile methodologies. Um, and the same goes for our operations. I don't think we're going to be, you know, servicing cities on a same day delivery basis tomorrow. But if we can start to improve our SLA times, delivery response times, our return options, and some of these smaller things over a longer period of time, I think we'll build more trust with our consumers and 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 really kind of set ourselves up to be a a strong focused D 2 C business. So we started talking about agility, but in reality. Everyone's been talking about continuous, relentless improvement. And so uh, I think the change probably over the last uh, 20, 30 years is that process activity used to be about locking in the way we do it and just, you know, squeezing the pips. Whereas now everybody is testing and learning, communicating with each other, and there's sort of a ratchet of progress. So I think it's it's a new angle on agility with that focus of improvement in mind. And David's nodding along there with both Steve and with Ian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it just kind of speaks back to what I started with is that, you know, the acceleration of innovation was so much faster in pandemic because more retailers recognize the need for incremental improvement versus waiting for a planning cycle to make sure that the solution was perfect across all markets and a global rollout with marketing. And so I think we've seen that shift of, of retailers and, and really just vendors and companies uh, innovating quicker, step by step in a, in a more dynamic way in order to get you know incremental improvement that delivers results over time. Thank you very much. And thanks everybody for being involved in this. Lots of opinions in this last episode, but it does bring us nicely to the end 
of our Beyond the Buy Button podcast on agility and flexibility. If you found it informative or even entertaining, there are other episodes focusing on circular economy, the challenges of returns, looking at shipping economics, and there'll be more to come. There's an extra five episodes that will be added to deliveryx.net in the coming months on Podbeam, Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. Ta-da. Ta-da. Done. <laughs> David, bye. I have my... to tell you, my phone <laughs> over overheated and it just <laughs> shut off. So then I went to my computer because the internet started working. And then the internet went out again. So I went back to my phone. <laughs> so I think you've so... embodied, you've embodied flexibility. <laughs> <Agility>. Flexibility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>